I am having a hard time recording this intro. This is probably my 12th take because I'm having a very hard time putting into words how enlightening this conversation was. My guest, Abel, is from Cuba. And in Cuba, I, I realize they have a very strict dictatorship. But, man, it is a completely different world in Cuba. It really made me thankful that I was born here in the United States because there's a lot of freedoms that I take advantage of. Like the fact that I can go to Wegmans, I can buy as much food as I want, and I can make anything that I want, right? In Cuba, you don't have those those freedoms. And every time I talk to Abel, I feel like I could talk to him for another hour, another hour, another hour. He is such a genuine nice person and no matter what's going on this guy always finds a positive spin to put on things and I think that is part of his charm on what makes him such a good real estate agent and not only that a father a friend a husband and I I have I'm stuttering because I can't I really enjoyed this conversation and I know I say that a lot but this one was thought-provoking it made me feel uncomfortable and really opened my eyes to a lot of things. So I don't want to build up momentum because I just want to get you to the show so you can listen to how awesome Abel is. So here's my guest, Abel. It's how you look at it. For example, my name is Abel. But if you look at it, you know, Abel, what's Abel, right? Abel, but yeah. Abel, that sounds more empowering. So I, I choose to uh, go with Abel because it's more empowering, I guess, than just Abel. <laughs> Dude, I love it. Dude, that's cool. That's like, it's a good, good uh, play on words. And you're from uh, from Cuba, right? That's correct. Yeah, I moved here 10 years ago. Why? What was the thing that sparked it? persecution bro um really my, my family i was born a christian my dad was the minister and uh we were persecuted in cuba for our religion so my dad for years tried to flee the country illegally but he never had success so mm. uh, then it opened up uh some doors and he met some people and said hey you know the u.s actually gives a certain amount of of visas to the world that all the people can qualify. And then he applied for that. And it took like four years and he finally got it. And you go through an interview process, like they're not just giving visas left and right to anybody that could come into the country. Right. So right. they want to make sure you're, uh, you're legit and that you're suffering persecution or, you know, you have a legit reason to come to the United States. And wow. so he did, and he brought me with him. So that was 10 years ago. Wow. That so you said persecution from uh, the government, the communist government, because they they wouldn't let him uh, worship, basically. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, if you know anything about how the communist government works, they really don't like uh, um, united groups of people. They're all about mm -hmm. uh, control over the right. masses. 
Um, right. They have this thing called the CDR, which stands for like Committee of Defense of the Revolution. And wow. pretty much it's like your neighbor could be a spy and they could be watching what you're doing or what you're saying. Uh, it's a stuff, man. Like, you know, you're not allowed yeah. to eat beef in Cuba. Um, you're not so allowed if, to eat beef? Listen, if you kill a cow in Cuba, you get more years in prison than if you kill a person. What? It's, not be, it's not because they worship the cows like in India. It's because they're right. property of the state. So if you kill a cow, you mm-hmm. go to prison for more years than if you kill a person. How's that? Wow. So there well, is a black I... market. You could buy it, right? But if your neighbor smells it, because they can tell you're, you're cooking beef, they can snitch on you and you could have the police knocking on your door. Dude, and search through the house. Dude, it, it's, it's, it's a level of control that people don't, people that live in this country really don't appreciate the liberty and the freedom that you have here. Imagine the government controlling every single move, like what you do, what you go to work. They literally have control over everything, the news, the media, uh, the radio. Um, it's just the propaganda on the streets. Like It's just a brainwashing experience that I grew wow. up with. So coming here was like, oh, my God, I'm free to do whatever I want, you know? Yeah, that must have been what there's literally a part of the government that's devoted to preventing revolutions from happening. Right. What was the name of it? You just said um, the CDR, the Committee of Defense of the Revolution. And you everybody have a committee for that, dude, they make everybody be a part of it. Like you're, right. you're they sign you up and there's like a, a rotation system. You know how you have the neighborhood watches and people oh, walk yeah. around the neighborhoods? It's similar to that in the in the in the regard that people go um, and just check on each other, right? For the for their well being, but they're really just making sure that you're not cooking beef, c- cooking beef, right? Yes. Or or creating a sale that could go up against the government because the first thing they did when they took over was confiscate all the weapons, so take all the weapons from the citizens. So now we're powerless, right? We can't fight back to the government, and if you see that. There's two or three people meeting in a room. They want to know what they're talking about and what what's what's going on. And Man. you sometimes you'll see that the uh, neighbor's X or Y goes missing, and then you never see him again. Um, it's 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 tough, man. So coming here can, to America was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, for that must have been such a, a culture shock for you. Like my my grandparents left uh, Portugal very shortly before they had their revolution. And I remember my grandfather telling me stories that he couldn't um, hold hands with my grandmother in public. He couldn't kiss in public. He could. There's like a very long list of rules. And when he came to America, how shocked he was and almost like he was still to the point uncomfortable doing PDA with my grandmother, just simply as like holding your hand and stuff because it was such a strong culture shock. What was that for you? I mean, 10 years ago, not to pin an age on you when you came over, but how old were you? Yeah, I was 14 when I came over. And, you know, there's this thing when you when you turn 16, they draft you to the military. So they make everybody go through the military once you turn 16. So I left when I was 14. Uh, so by that time, right around that time, it's the sign up process. So I literally left like borderline. If I would have stayed a few months more they would have drafted me to the military and I would have not been able to get out of Cuba. Wow. That's, that's pretty crazy, man. That's it's, you put it uh, very well just a few minutes ago that uh, 
I don't think people realize how lucky they are. Like the fact that we don't have a mandatory military, you know, like stuff like that. And that well, not I can, only that, that you can go on Facebook and say whatever you want about the president. Yeah. I mean, it's right. just a, something as simple as that freedom of speech that you can go on social media and say whatever the heck you want. Even if you're going to get people upset and they're going to comment, but you're not going to have the government knocking on your door and, yeah. and, you know, taking you away. Right. Right. So 14 year old Abel comes to America. What's the first thing that you wanted to do? Well, you know, it's funny because I was actually very scared because that's one of the things they teach um, in communism. Like they fight an enemy and the enemy of Cuba is United States. They picture right. the, the they call them the Yankees. That's how they, they they don't call them the USA or the United States. They call them the Yankees. That's huh. how they call the uh, our country. And from an early age, it's it's like a brainwashing system from an early age. They make you write essays about how great the revolution is and then write essays about uh, how bad the, the U.S. is and how all the hungry and all the poverty and all the things that are going on in the world is because of the U.S., right? Um, right. So it's, it was a brainwashing experience. And then coming to America, uh, I, I had those fears because that's, that's, that's all the things that I've always heard from a kid. Like the U.S. is bad. You're going to go there and they're going to kill you. They're going to pull a gun and they're going to, you know. Uh, so there was all this... Uh, stereotype i guess it's it's how'd you call it uh, yeah. because of all the fears that they put on in people of the united states and cuba uh but then i get here the very first thing that i wanted to do is learn the language i wanted to be able to communicate with people um and just learn about the culture and help my family in cuba that's all i ever wanted to do did you already like know a little bit of english when you came over here or was that nothing, a fresh light? Nothing. It was a wow. um, fresh start. And I mean, I, I came straight to Syracuse. It's not like I went to Florida where everybody speaks Spanish. Yeah, that's um, what, like, why Syracuse? Why did your dad decide on, on here? So this, this refugee program uh, sends people out to the different states. So like they literally give you, mm. uh, okay, you're going to Syracuse or you're going to Texas or you're going to Florida. Um, and so you just, you, you go wherever they tell you to go. We were just happy to be here. So it was Syracuse, no friends or family. Um, it was tough, man. It was, Imagine being in the school and not being able to understand what the teacher's saying. Um, or like if they ask you a question, even something as simple as my name, right? Abel, Abel, we're talking about it right before the stream. And I wouldn't know that they were talking to me because I, that's that, that wasn't how I was used to hearing my name. In yeah. a different language, so with English, was, uh, yeah, with another language on top of that, right? Yeah, so right. it was it was a tough time to adjust. Um, now I look back and I was like, man, I wish I could go back to high school. You know, the, the uh, I have a few teachers that I'm still in touch, and uh, I can count it with my hands the people that I'm still in touch from high school. But um, I wish I I could go back and be able to talk freely and be able to communicate because there was a lot of people that helped me. Uh, but to me, high high school was like a it's like a blank moment in my life where I barely remember anything. Right, you just try to get you just try to get past it. I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty Man. much. Were you taking like English classes, like how to uh, secondary English classes? Yeah, so they put me in uh, ESL, uh, English mm. as Second Language, 
but at the same time, you're still taking the other subjects, you know, your math, your English, your U.S. history, which I failed three times. Um, wow. It's funny. When I took the regents, I thought I was going to fail the English for sure. I was like, yeah, this is going to be I'm not going to graduate from high school. English is going to be the, the one that's going to stop me from doing that. And it was actually U.S. history that uh, stopped me once. So, yeah, I well, felt wait, I felt regents three times. No, two times. And then I passed it the third time for the U.S. history regions. Well, if you're going to fail one, I feel like the U.S. history is probably <laughs> is probably the one, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I was expecting English to be the one that it was going to be the tough one. And it was tough. I think I, I barely passed, but it was enough for me to pass and say, you know what? I'm done with it. <laughs> right. So Able Man gets done with high school. And then like what what were you looking to do when you got out of high school? Did you did you want to like uh, carry your dad's minister? Like, is he a minister? He is a minister. Yes. He, so uh, is that something that you wanted to do was like go into the church? Uh, not really, actually quite the quite opposite. I feel like because I was born and I saw how much you struggle and how much, you know, um, I guess there's a reward piece where you're helping people um, and stuff like that. But at the same time, um, it's not easy being a minister. And I saw that in my dad growing up. So I was like, I don't, I don't, I really don't want that. I still go to church. I believe in God and everything, but um, I don't feel like that's my calling. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a, I worship. I, I'm in the worship team. I play many instruments and I love music. Um, and I feel like that's my calling in church that I can help out. Uh, but no, I mean, at two months after, so I graduated in June, 2014 and by August, I was already getting married. Um, wow. So I did not have time to think about what I wanted to do, if I wanted to go to college or anything. I, I started working while I was in high school because, I, again, I wanted to help my family in Cuba, help my dad here to pay the bills. Were you sending money to your family in Cuba? Yeah, yeah, still do. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that just uh, that shows how good of a human being you are. That's all. You're still supporting the family from it, you know? Well, you know, I feel like it was a it was a gut a gift, an opportunity for me to come here, because um, I don't know where I would be if I was still in Cuba. So, right, you know, the fact that he opened doors and I could be here, uh, that means I could bless other people back in my country. Right. And how how did you how did you meet your wife? So I actually met her in church here, um, the church that we were going to. Um, she was going to SU, getting her electrical engineering bachelor's very successful, drove a pretty nice sporty car. Um, I, she's uh, 10 years older than me. So I was like, she's so out of my league. Um, nice. I mean, if we, I was just finishing high school. I didn't even have a job at the time. And, and um, I started writing songs for her and she fell in love with me and we got oh, married. Right dude, high school. You are so <laughs> smooth, man. You said it. I was all like, I got nothing, man. Too. I got, I was like, I got nothing to offer, but my music. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love that. You're just so you're like I just started writing her music, and then we fell madly in love. You yeah. no, she uh, she kept me in the friend zone for about a year, man. It wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's my wife's older than me too. She's uh, uh, six years older than me. So okay, it's funny right that you said that because what what are you gonna do, dude? Same what thing. I thought do? she was out of my league, but jokes on me, right? I saw it almost like, yeah, that's wifey material right there. So I'm going to fight hard <laughs> to get her. <laughs> Dude, that's funny, man. That's so, so you got, you got married and then 
I feel like we have to talk about the fact that you were working for Blizzard, the same people who made StarCraft, that poster behind you. And I was an avid StarCraft player. I haven't really? touched it in a while. I was a big Protoss player. Dude, but... I'm a Protoss player. Look, where's my hat? Oh, no, I have a Terran hat right here. Oh, um, I have my Protoss hat. There you um, go. That, that's my main my main race. Uh, listen, don't don't get it twisted, Abel, because I was maybe a silver silver league at best. <laughs> at best, dude. I was I was probably like fluctuating on bronze and silver. You know, I was always like a game away from being back to <laughs> to bronze. I mean, not to brag, but I could get to silver with one hand with my mouse, hey, just doing cannon rush, cannon rush, hey, and, and dude, cannon rush. Wow, that's a term I haven't heard in forever. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, were you was like video games to you? I did you guys have that in Cuba? Is that an ignorant question? If the government was so controlling, would they not let you play video games because that so could be mass gathering online? Yeah, you're right. And actually, there is no internet or there wasn't any internet available. So what people would do is they would have it in, flash, in flashcards or CD. And then you could go to your uh, your friend's house or whoever the richest kid in the neighborhood, because usually uh, they were the ones that had the means to be able to afford a computer. And I'm right. talking like a, a basic 1990s computer, like right. not, not nothing fancy or anything like that. Um, and then what we would do is just take turns and play against the AI. And this was going back, you know, to StarCraft Brewer, which was the oh, one wow. everybody was playing. Um, and then I came here. So the very first thing I remember, I will never forget that. So uh, the very first thing that I did in the Internet was search for StarCraft. Oh, and that's, I, th- that's how I got into, I mean, this was 2010. Yeah, I moved here in 2010. And the very first search that I did on the internet was StarCraft. And well, ever since, it's been my, you know... Listen, Abel, not, not to make this weird, but a 14-year-old boy with the internet for the first time, I for sure wasn't Googling StarCraft. <laughs> that just shows how how nice of a human being you are, Abel. Like, this is like, this is all just great examples. Me, I'm just looking up probably stuff a 14-year-old kid shouldn't have been... Look, you <laughs> well, know you mean? know, I always associated myself with the older generation. Mm. Uh, I think it's because I grew up in church, and yeah. it's not like I was very the pop- popular kid in the neighborhood. So, who were my friends? You know, the people from church, Bible study, uh, right. older men, and I always associated with the the you know older generation, old, older older kids, and. Yeah. The older kids were playing StarCraft, so I was learning StarCraft, and, and that's how it all started. When you got to America, were you like trying to figure out a way that you could play StarCraft again? Were you like, uh, what you internet searched it, right? Was that on your computer or somebody else's? Somebody else's, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't bring anything but the clothes that I was wearing when I came to America. Okay. I had nothing, nothing. Uh, and we were in debt, actually, because we, we wanted to come with nice clothes. And by mm. nice clothes, I mean jeans and a T-shirt. Because yeah. uh, if, if you had jeans in Cuba, you were considered like if you're, you you have money. Um, wow. it's, I, I think it's because of the West Western culture, uh, the movies, right? You see the people mm-hmm. wearing jeans. And if, if you had jeans, that was considered, okay, you know, you're, you're dressed nice. So we borrow some money so we could buy jeans and t-shirts. And that's how we can actually, I think I may have a picture 
up on Facebook from when we came here. Um, but yeah, nothing but the clothes that we were wearing. So we went to uh, this person that was helping us get settled and get the, you know, teaching us how to go grocery shopping and where to go to get stuff. And they had a computer and it was like, oh, you know, here's a computer in case you need to, excuse me, check some email email or stuff. I didn't even know what email was at the time. Yeah. I was like, oh, internet? Okay, I know what I what I, what I got to do. StarCraft. And and I yeah. think the first thing that popped up was YouTube. And and I remember just going into YouTube and spending hours. I was just sit there watch people play. And as soon as I could, uh, I saved enough money, I bought the StarCraft II Wings of Liberty copy. And then I would just install it in, you know, in the whatever friend's house that I had at the time and, and play there. Right. That's... Dude, that's a crazy story because it's like, I know it's like growing up, I, my grandparents came from Portugal, right? So my grandfather came to the United States. Um, I think the Portuguese revolution was like 74 or 75. I don't know why I want to say that. Um, But my grandfather came over shortly before. So this was a long time ago. We're talking about you just coming over to America 10 years ago, which is not that long. I remember when StarCraft 2 came out. Yeah. I remember downloading it on the release and having it pre-purchased and like ready to rock and load. Like this is, it's so crazy to me that that time does not seem very far away to where you are at now. Right like now. that is a crazy difference. Crazy difference. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, like I said, I grew up in church, but this was in like a country type of uh, place that we lived at. So from an early age, my dad taught me to work hard you know, work on the farm. We lived off the land. So growing up, I was like, yeah, um, I'm going to work hard. And I got here and it was like so many opportunities. It was literally the land of opportunities. Um, I started working just as I was finishing high school. I worked at a Columbus bakery uh, in downtown. Yeah. Yep. So I actually worked in the deli um, just making sandwiches. I mean, I remember struggling because I didn't know um, anything. So my cousin was the one that got me uh, a job there and I would let her do the talking and I would just do the prepping. I cut the meat mm-hmm. and I would prep the sandwiches and stuff like that until she finally left and said, okay, it's up to you now. So I had to have interaction with customers. And that's, that's really when I started to learn English. So we're, this is like year and a half, two years after coming to America uh, that I could start to speak some words because I would understand that was the very first thing that I learned how to do. I would watch a lot of movies. I would watch a lot of series and I would do the captions in English while Uh, listening in English. So I would try to correlate the words with the captions uh, and that's how I learned it. So I could understand it and I could read. That's how I, I was able to go through high school because I could understand some of the stuff they were saying. Plus I was able to write and read. But I I couldn't speak for for dude I I would get yeah. tongue twisted and I was also very shy and very afraid to speak. So working in customer service pushed me to go beyond my comfort zone and you know just having that interaction with people. And some customers were great and they would correct me in my accent, like say, "Oh, that's not how you say this." You know, mm-hmm. some other customers would get annoyed and just leave. Right. Um, right. But overall, I think that job was the one that really had the biggest impact in me learning English. That's that's pretty crazy. The fact that that 
that the job i mean it's a brilliant idea really to do the um uh to watch the tv show the movie with the captions to to learn english that's something that i never man i just i'm having like this uh this feeling of i don't know if i want to say guilt or because it's not i don't feel guilt but like this is the shit like i don't have to think about any of this you know what i mean like right. you you had to let, watch the movies not for entertainment value but so you can learn the language you know what i mean like and it's this uh this idea of being in a totally new country i can understand why you would why you'd be nervous right because you don't you you could be one wrong accent away from accidentally offending somebody right well Especially even in school like people are making fun of you like i i Remember, the very first thing that I learned how to say was, I don't know, so that people wouldn't ask me questions. Like, if they mm-hmm. asked me a question, I felt like that was a, a safe answer to say, I don't know. And then mm-hmm. they would just leave me alone. And I remember once, um, I think this was a global history teacher, and he asked some question and he said, Abel. And, you know, I knew they were talking to me because now I knew that was my name and everybody's looking at you like expecting an answer. And I said, I don't know. And the teacher said, don't you know any other phrases or words, something like that, that it's not, I don't know. And I reply, I don't know. And the whole class <laughs> started laughing, you know, <laughs> So exactly. So it was very embarrassing. The fact that I couldn't, you know, talk back to, to the people. Right. Well, and then, and it's like, then you're doing, you're playing uh, Starcraft two and you were putting out these, like, was it instructional videos or was it just you like, playing starcraft like how did it start to the point where the creators of starcraft reached out to you to be a part of what they were doing like how did that how did the ball get rolling with that so i i was like i said i was always big into watching youtube videos since since i came here to america that was the first time i googled and i would watch uh husky and i don't know if you any of his videos H to, the, H to the H, Husky, Husky. Here, H to the like H, that. Husky, yep. Yeah, so I watch his videos, and I really like how he, the energy, and Day 9, and all these great commentators, um, they would just give so much energy and make the, the game look so much fun. Like, it's competitive, you know. In the blue corner, we have the player from, you know, Argentina playing against the American player, the Protoss on the bottom left. And they 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 really make it like you're watching a, a football game or a basket basketball game. And, and I was like, oh, I really like that, you know. And I started doing it in Spanish because obviously I couldn't do English. So I started doing videos and streaming in Spanish of me playing against you know other people online i think the highest i ever got was masters that's the highest i ever got with protoss um and i would post videos and then by that time there was this tournament uh this is an american called uh copa america which all the players from south and north america played against each other and it was like a legit tournament um and i started doing videos about it and that's how the people from uh, from the Blizzard organization reached out and say, "Hey, would you like to do this from a uh, uh, for for a living? You know, we we would really like if you came on and and started uh, just casting games from professional players." And I was like, yeah. "Yeah, I like that." That must have been wild, huh? Yeah. So I mean, most of this, um, I I started doing uh, um, 
songs. Like I would write songs with popular um, songs out there. I would just change the lyrics. I would use the background music, but it's all about Starcraft or the video games and people started to watch and, and that's how, that's how it all started, man. I, that must have been wild getting like like an email from Blizzard saying, "Hey, you want to do this full time?" I would have been like, "Listen, I've been a an avid World of Warcraft player since Burning Crusade came out just mm-hmm. just before that, 2008, I think 2009, somewhere in that neck of the woods." Yeah. If they came to me and said, "Do you want to work for us?" I'd be like, "That's a no brainer. Absolutely, I'd want to work with you." You and and the pay was great, man. So it's not only yeah, you're you're enjoying the game. They also pay you really well. Like for a weekend, I would earn five hundred dollars on a weekend, just wow. commentating, wow. you know. And I, that would be like I don't know, sixteen hours on a weekend. So it, uh, like eight hours on a Saturday, eight, eight hours on a Sunday, and boom, five hundred bucks. Five hundred bucks. And to me, that was like, oh my gosh, I have so much money, right? Uh, right. Doing stuff that I that I really like. Um, right. But it wasn't like every every weekend. It's like every time there's an event or like a tournament, yeah. something like that. So it wasn't right. like a stable job. But I didn't see it as a job. To me, it was like I'm having fun. I'm, I'm meeting people. Um, I'm playing the game that I like. Um, to me, it was like I would do it for free. You don't even have to pay me. Yeah. You didn't want to tell them that, though. Right. No, <laughs> it was nice the fact that they paid. It, it helped get to upgrade my computer and then the sponsors of course i mean they would give me like hyperx will give me a headsets and i would be able to wear those live and um nice. it was nice dude like it, thinking back to those days and even going to blizzcon and seeing it live in california they paid for the flight they paid for the hotel they wow. had a, they had a car waiting for me it's like i felt like i was a king you know, yeah. I, I just texted, like, I'm here, and here comes a car to pick me up. You know, right. it takes me to all these places, and then I go to uh, to the BlizzCon, and I get a VIP pass, you know, and I'm amongst people from all over the world that travel just to see the games and, and the costumes. And, dude, yeah. it was it was amazing. That is so cool. What a, what a unique thing. Like, that's such a – that must have been a powerful experience. Huh? That must have been, like – Man, yeah, I mean, I can... think about it. People say, oh, this is this guy's just playing video games, right? They're quick to judge. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just video, stupid video, video games, right? Um, and all the the things that you heard from a kid, oh, don't don't spend too much time playing video games and things like that. But I was actually taking it to another level. I wasn't mm-hmm. just wasting my life playing video games. I was actually trying to build something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, by the time I retire from all of that, I was actually pretty happy where I was. Um, it was right around when Blizzard started to change management and they weren't doing so well as a company anymore mm-hmm. and the staff changed. So it, was, it wasn't really, you know how corporate works, man. Corporate yeah. is all about the numbers and sales and, yeah. and it's not about making the game fun anymore. It's about how much money they can make off the game. So right. it was right it around was that time where uh... I retired. Was it uh, when Activision bought Blizzard? I can't remember when they did. I feel like it was. I think it was right around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that that's been everybody's gripe is when when uh, Activision took over Blizzard. That's when like the World of Warcraft content changed. That was when everything was more focused now on how can we squeeze each game for as much mm-hmm. dollars as possible. Uh, and that was an overall general census from from the players. Everybody was kind of upset that 
that Blizzard yeah. did it. But they were they were a powerhouse like Blizzard Entertainment. They're responsible for Warcraft, Starcraft, Overwatch now. Um, World of Warcraft, Warcraft Three, Diablo. Um, How to Diablo. Diablo? You know, like Heart these Stone. are massive yeah, games. I mean, it's, they really changed the gaming industry. Um, and it was shortly after that that Mike Morheim retired too. I mean, he he was like one of the most loved guys. Um, you know, he was the founder uh, of of Blizzard Entertainment. So yeah, once I feel like once you go into the corporate America and you're a public publicly traded company, it's all about the numbers and how much money you're bringing in. And you know, yeah. it's not about let's make the game better. Let's 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 do more tournaments. Let's right. Um, Able, so, yeah, the I, average playing time is only a half hour. That only equals about twenty dollars per minute. We got to crank that average playing time up. We got to yeah. we got to get those numbers up through the. And then it just turns into something that you don't love and that you're not exactly. And that's why everybody started leaving. Right. Um, I mean, they made StarCraft free to free to play, and they announced it about a year ago that they would not have any support for StarCraft. Like there won't be any new content coming on mm-hmm. or any anything. It was like, what well, what you got it, that's it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. They did the same thing for. Uh, did you ever play Heroes of the Storm? Yeah, I, I played that since yep. it came out. Yeah, yep. same thing. That I was kind of bummed because that's my favorite uh, Dota Defense of the Ancients. For yep. those listening, don't know. Uh, it's like a hero based game. And that was fun because I had characters from all over the blizzard universe. And when they yeah. said that they were going to stop putting out content, I was like, man, that's too bad. Cause that was a really fun game. What? Yeah, I mean, and if that? you were, if you were live at BlizzCon, seeing how much people were there to see the games, like it felt better than a basketball game or a football yeah. game. Cause it was like a stadium, like picture a stadium full of people chanting and, and watching the game live it's it's it was a real thing man so to see right. that the the company just turns the back on the game that it was making so many people happy and also raising a lot of money i mean they were giving the price for the first place was a hundred thousand dollars that's crazy you know? so if you won that tournament you get a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and i think insane. they had prices all the way down to the the eighth eighth place so like there was a lot of money being moved uh in these tournaments and these these were like worldwide tournaments and they just turned the back of the game on on the community on the people and i guess the numbers really show it now i mean you don't barely hear anything about blizzard games anymore yeah it's uh i mean there's definitely some things to be excited for right i mean every time they come out with a world of warcraft expansion i pick that Mm -hmm. up play it for about a couple months and then i kind of kind of pitter off you know and then diablo 3 looks pretty exciting that looks I'm looking forward to that. When you were doing like your YouTube videos, was the idea just like, hey, I want to put out awesome content of something that I love, or was it uh more strategized, like, okay, every week I need to put out a video, so I need to think of X, Y, and Z, or were you just shooting from the hip and just kind of like messing around with edits and stuff? No, actually, and no edits or anything. I would do the live stream and export to YouTube, um, and I was just oh, having immediately. fun. Yeah, immediately. I wasn't, I wasn't really doing any editing or anything like that. Um, no strategic or planning for the future. It was like I'm having fun. I'm loving what I what I'm doing, and yeah, I mean, it's. It, I never, I never thought I would reach so many people. Um, I remember there was a tournament in Mexico once, and and it was going to be the host for the world cup 
in Mexico. Well, um, and they invited me to go and, and, and commentate because obviously it was going to be in Spanish. They were going to have an English stream and, and you know, a Portuguese stream. And, um, and they were going to have the main event, which was going to be in Mexico in Spanish. And they wanted Big show to- for Abel right there, dude. That's uh, Spanish speaking in Mexico. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is huge. But then I didn't have my I wasn't a U.S. citizen at the time. Mm. So I was like, I, I, I can't go. I can't get a visa. Um, I'm not I won't be I, I won't be coming an American citizen until like a year from then. So I couldn't go and pick and people started to send me pictures from the crowd with my logo. And they were like, we need Cubano. That was my, that was actually my, my name uh, or my nickname in the gaming Cubano. Cubano. And, yeah. And they would have the, the signs from the crowd. So you, I could see it like from the camera and the live stream when they were putting in the public. And it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm here from my room making videos about me having fun playing a game and the commentating about, you know, the game. Right. And that now here's people in other countries that are, you know, we want this guy to be here live and on stage commentating. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was it was a good feeling. That's wild. When you see, I sometimes I talk to people and they're like, I don't get why you why people watch watch video games. And I remember explaining it to my mom once because I remember like when Starcraft announced grand prize was one hundred thousand dollars, I think at the time that was the most any video game tournament had had yep. given out at that point right yep. now i think there's like csgo tournaments that yeah, are you got league of legends and you got other yeah. ga- games uh, right. um fortnite that are paying millions now right but right. it all and started with blizzard right and that was the that was a big deal and i remember telling my mom about about it like can you believe they're giving a hundred thousand my mom was like why do people want to sit and watch other people play a video game and it's the same reason people want to sit and watch other people play basketball. It's the same exactly. thing. It's the same, same thing why people want to sit and watch golf. I am not a golfer. And, <laughs> dude, there is no way I'm going to sit down and watch a golf game. You know I'm, what I mean? I'm with you on that, bro. <laughs> There's no way. But a StarCraft game, I might sit through on that. But some people feel like there's a wall that it's too complicated of a strategy game. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces into it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it took years before, before I, I was any good at the game. And before I was invited to commentate for Blizzard, it took years. And, yeah, you would have to stay. and actually I retired for two reasons. Number one, because of how I, how the company was, they were changing their culture and, and everything that we know that happened. And number two, because I didn't have the time. So remember I got married right out of high school. And we had our first, uh, we had our daughter a year after that. So, and while the, all that is happening, I'm still working for time. I'm still caring for my daughter and my family, bought my first home. And I was spending the whole night. I would stay up all night just watching games, staying up to date with the with the players so that when I'm commentating, I could give them the the real time statistics of how the players were doing. And I would mm. actually have facts to talk about. This is not just talk about what's going on in the game. You got to talk about the certain play style that a, that a player has versus the other player right. and identify the bills that they're doing and, and how, how many games they've lost against each other in the past. You have to have all this information. Right. Um, so it was, I was just spending a lot of time studying for that. And it just got to the point where I was like, 
it's not fun anymore. It's not me having fun. Um, I'm, I don't have the time I'm working full time. I'm missing out on my daughter, you know, my daughter time or spending time with my wife or just doing anything else. I was just literally in front of a computer watching the, the games all night so that I could stay up to date to the, to the yeah. statistics. And I finally said, you know what, it's time for me to retire. I had fun. I've seen it all. Um, it's time to move on to the next big thing. So now you just do Starcraft videos every now and then, huh? Yeah, actually I haven't posted anything in a while. I think I last year because of COVID and there was a lot of stay at home. And also because in Cuba now, uh, there's a handful of people with internet. And a lot of them are actually starting to come and, and play StarCraft. And they had this tournament in Cuba, and I was really excited to see people from Cuba play. And I was actually volunteered to stream, and I streamed some of the games, and I posted some videos about it. But if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll see the last videos are all about songs. I had mm-hmm. a, uh, a freestyle uh, uh, battle against another uh, commentator from Mexico, and I, I love and, it. yeah, and it was like you know he would say things about me, and then I would say things about him. So the the last few videos in my channel are all about that. Yeah, I really stopped doing the video game. I, I want to say 2019. Yeah, mm. so like two years ago, I retired. Right? I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing any more streaming or any more any more content, uh, commentating, any more content. Right? I really gave up on that uh, two years ago. Interesting, interesting. Well, you said you had purchased your house with your wife right at the time when you guys had gotten married and now you're a real estate agent, right? Like what, That's right. what brought you to make the moves to get into real estate? So I want to say part of it was uh, the experience that we had when we bought our first home. It wasn't really a pleasant experience. We bought into a flood zone and I feel like the agent was just uh, a transaction. He mm-hmm. wasn't really that helpful Mm. and it's not like we knew what we were doing right we're again we're both immigrants and still learning about everything so we trusted this person to guide us through the process of buying a home and you know we ended up doing a i don't want to say a really bad deal but it it could have been better yeah Um, and then we had to move out of that house it flooded twice um and the flood insurance was just uh too much too high too high and the person that sold the house was the person that got me into real estate because i was so moved by how she was able to find this house for her client and our house was not even in the market at the time and she reached out and say hey i have this client is looking for a house and it's just that your house is exactly what she's looking for um she had a divorce and she really needs a home really, you know, really soon. And, you know, she would like to make you an offer. So I looked at my wife and I said, you know, Hey, if we're going to sell the house, I mean, might as well do it now. And, um, they made us an offer. And I remember telling the agent, um, she goes, do you have any questions? I was like, yeah, are you going to help us find our home? Because now we're like, okay, we're selling our house, but we don't have a place to go. So she helped us find, our current home and we closed on the sale of our old home and the purchase of the new home at the same time. So she worked out three deals. There you go. And one, but I was really moved by how she worked and her work ethic and how, 
hard worker she was. And like, I saw that she cared about her clients. It wasn't just a transaction. Right. Um, she really wanted the best for her client and the best for me. Um, and what, I was like, uh, you know what? If it's something positive, we can mention the agent's name. What, what was her name that, or his name that? Uh, Christy Kronizer. Oh, okay. Christy from, from GRG. Christy, yeah. she was she was uh, the person that uh, pulled pulled everything off. And I, I kept in touch with her because I remember telling her, hey, you know, if I ever wanted to get into real estate, would you be uh, available for me to reach out and ask questions and talk to you? And she goes, absolutely. So I asked her out on a, on a lunch date professional date and she was like hey you know how uh, so you kept on your word and uh you want to pursue real estate and i was like yeah uh tell me tell me all about it and she guided me through the whole process and got me started and man i'm a, i'm i couldn't be happier than you know, that's than cool I am. and you did you when you became a real estate agent did you do it completely full-time or did you do it as like a part-time gig for a little while no part-time part-time because again i've um family lots of bills a lot of family to support so i couldn't yeah. afford the in uh instability of becoming a real estate agent so uh, i still had to work for time full-time and and do real estate on the side that's that's pretty cool and when you became a real estate agent. What did you leave? Like, what were you, what did you quit doing? Nothing, man. I feel like I'm always trying to add on to what I'm doing. Um, uh, I didn't really quit anything um, except my time, I guess. Cause right. now I'm on the road all the time and on the weekends. And what was the, what was the job you were doing before you were a real estate agent? So I was actually, I'm still there. Uh, haven't, um, I haven't left. Uh, my current company yet because uh two reasons one it's i have a lot of responsibility and two um again i still need that uh i guess a paycheck to pay the bills yeah um so you. yeah no i work for uh entering microwave it's called now ttm technologies mm. and we do space and defense um yep. work just like uh Lockheed Martin, they're actually yeah. one of our customers. And I've been there for six years. Oh, wow. Yeah, six years. Um, and it was the place that taught me how to be a professional because mm -hmm. I grew from a floor level operator to a supervisor that I am now. And it really taught me how to communicate through an email, professional, how to talk to another professional and um, I mean, like I said, I'm still there. I mean, it's a great place to work. Um, yeah. who knows what the future will be. I do see real estate as a business, not as a hobby. I'm not doing it as a hobby. Uh, like I was doing with Starcraft. Um, I treat it as a business. I take it hundred percent serious and maybe in the future, that'll be my, my full-time business. And uh, even my wife is starting to get some interest in, in real estate. Just because uh -oh. the fact that you're you're helping people, Ramirez right? team, I smell Ramirez team, yeah, you know, you got Shauna listening right now, just salivating, just uh, yeah, Ramirez. No, that's, uh, dude, there's some people who realty. The one thing I don't like is there's just uh, there's almost like a negative connotation out of an agent that works another job, and I think it's the silliest frame of mind ever because 
I don't think it totally matters how you spend your time. I think what is more important is how you treat your clients and how you work with them in a professional manner, right? Like there's a lot of great agents that I know that work a nine to five job and they do more business than me and they've been doing it a lot longer than me and they're successful at it. If you think about it, most people go out to see houses after work and on the weekends. So, I mean, it works out. I'm not, I'm not as busy as I could have been if I was doing it full time, but it's enough for me to stay busy every weekend and almost every, every single day after work. I have always stuff coming, you know, coming up. Like I was texting you today about, you know, one of your listings that I have uh, someone out of state that is relocating to Syracuse and, and they were looking at one of your listings. So I'm always busy and um, I, I really like it, man. It doesn't feel like I'm working. Like I'm, I'm working 24 seven, but it doesn't feel like I'm working. It feels like I'm doing something meaning, meaningful and I really enjoy doing it. And I think that's what makes the difference, right? Cause yeah. um, you, you're happy doing it you're helping people, you're making a difference and that's what makes it so rewarding. Right. And I think that's what, uh, a majority of people get into the business for is because of the sense of, uh, Sean, man, I'm going to, I've said this so many times and I know Shauna, Shauna loves this line and I say this all the time, but it's an opportunity for me to fill my cup as well as somebody else's, right? Like, yep. I'm helping them, uh, make their steps into purchasing their first home, second home, forever home, whatever that may be. Um, and I get to feel like I am made an impact because I came from retail in retail. You don't, you just punch your punch the clock, you stock shelves, you point a customer where they go and you you say, see you later. There wasn't very much sense of accomplishment Mm -hmm. until I got to like an upper manager manager position. You know what I mean? And this job, totally gives me a sense of accomplishment it's i kind of got in this business for a little bit selfish reasons you know i think i could i could admit that because i wanted to feel good about what i was doing for a living you know and selling dog food wasn't it dude selling dog food and in horse panels just wasn't it for me not that there's anything wrong with that it just wasn't for me you know what i mean yeah i mean we all got to find whatever makes us happy um, and I agree a hundred percent with what you just said. I mean, buying a house is probably, I think it's safe to say the biggest investment of the average person. Um, cause not everybody starts a business. Not everybody goes out to become a Jeff Bezos or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the founder of Microsoft, uh, whatever the Elon Musk, um, everybody is different. And for most people buying a house or selling a house is their biggest investment. And you want to make sure you have somebody that you trust and that it's going to care for you. And it's not just a transaction, like you were saying, just pointing out a a customer where the milk is or, you know, things like that. They stay for life. I mean, I I have uh, customers that I've never met in my life that I was able to meet through real estate. And now they're like long life friends, you know, that I will have for the rest of my life. And they really appreciate me for helping them buying their first home and it's really rewarding to see that hey i am really making a difference for these people right right and that's uh it's definitely an interesting business it's so weird because 
there is not a business that I can think of that has this kind of, uh, I don't think of the word, this kind of structure because we do a lot of work and we, there's a lot of times we don't get paid for the amount of work that we do. Mm-hmm. It's, I try to explain it to people is like, imagine you went to work for a whole entire week. And then at the end of the week, the boss said, ah, we didn't meet our quota. So you guys don't get your paycheck. You'd be, you'd be kind of frustrated, right? Yep. Then there's other weeks where they're like, Hey, you worked an eight hour shit, but Hey, here you go. Here's your uh, paycheck for the day. And you're like, what, where did this come from? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's like these different uh, sides of this job that are just interesting. It's so it's much a roller different coaster, than man. Yeah, I mean, you have you have the people that really don't appreciate what you're doing. That think that uh, real estate agents are, and I've actually heard people joke around like, "Oh, I, I'd rather sell real estate than doing that." When they're saying like something's really bad mm-hmm. and they want to do it, they'll say, "Oh, I'd rather sell real estate than doing that." Yeah, uh, because it's like you said, it's a roller coaster. You have really good moments, but then you have really bad moments. I mean, you you're gonna encounter people that are gonna uh, require that you're there a hundred percent of the time at nine and 9 PM or 10 PM. Um, they don't care if you're sick. They don't care if you're with your, your family. They don't care if it's the weekend, Sunday morning, your church that, you know, they really want you to be there. And if you don't answer the phone or you don't answer the text or email, you know, right. then they send you a nasty, Oh, you know, what are you doing? So you have those kind of clients. Then you have the other clients that, you know, really see what you're doing and see the hard work that you're doing. Yeah, so it's it's a roller coaster, man. You go through those yeah. cycles, right, uh, where you work an entire week and you don't get to see a paycheck, uh, and then the the once weeks that you're kind of slow, and then you get you do get a paycheck. Yeah, because that's that's just just the nature of the the beast. Roller coaster is a good way to put it because there is um there are moments where you feel like you kind of want to pull your hair out and kind of everything's falling apart, right? Like there's some days <laughs> I call it. You ever have a shower beer? You ever just get your ass kicked by the whole day? You just you crack open a beer and take a shower. You're like, screw it. <laughs> you're like, screw it. No rules today. I'm I'm going off. I'm off the hinges now. I don't care. I'll have a shower beer. And then there's other days where you're like, everything just seems to be going too good to be true. You know? Yeah. It's. And I mean, you know, this real estate market has been crazy. I mean, yeah, I started. I started in March 2020. March 2020, huh? March 2020 is when I started. So no previous experience. I was just, uh, you know, doing my, my regular job, no sales experience. My communication skills have definitely improved since I started real estate, um, but no experience, man. So I got into the COVID real estate market and I just learned it. I didn't have anything to compare it. You know, yeah, this is right. what I learned. So I adopted a very aggressive style of uh, real estate agent. I was very aggressive on the offers and the terms. And right. and I would get, I, I can get you the, the, the deal. I can make the deal work. And I lost some clients because of that, but I also gained some clients, clients because of that. So yeah. some clients were not comfortable with me being, I guess, pushy. Um, cause I was like, Hey, we got to submit this offer before 6 PM and we have to make sure we, we, we put the best terms possible. And we, you know, and we do escalation class and, and offer as much as you can, if you really, if you really want this house. Um, and I adopted the very aggressive style of, of real estate and I lost some customers because of that. I'm, I'm going to admit that, but I also gain a lot of them because they would, they would come to me and say, Hey, I've been looking for a house for a year now and I can't find a house. 
And I was like, hey, I can find it. I'll find you a house and I can get you an offer accepted. But I I would be honest with you. Then I would tell you we have to set ex- expectations before you, before you go in because you're not going to get the house if you're submitting below asking price and you're mm-hmm. still asking for a home inspection and radon and you're putting all these contingencies that are going to make your offer just go to the bottom of the of the pile, yeah. you right. know. So yeah, no, it's it's a roller coaster, man. I it's I've had my sad moments where I, I've questioned, you know, should I be doing this? Um, and then my happy moments were like, yeah, this is why I'm doing this. You know, I love it. Mm-hmm. And it's important to know that when you have those moments, should I be doing this? It's important to remind yourself the reason why you got into it, right? Not like, oh man, this is why, why, oh, why is this happening to me? This is like, just remember all the good shit that you're doing and all the good stuff you're putting out out there. That that's the reason you got, you got into real estate. You know what I mean? And, and there's and that I got a family to support too. You know, I got a yeah. lot of people that depend on me and, and obviously that's a motivation, but like, like, like you said, you know, why I started doing this, you know, helping people uh, avoid what I went through in my first experience buying a house, uh, making the difference, being that real estate agent that, you know, will give you the best best advice and really go um above and beyond for you um i mean that that really against give give you a sense of purpose i guess right. um that is really rewarding right yeah it's like it was exactly like we were saying earlier that that sense of of rewarding and accomplishment and it's uh you know sometimes this business you were talking about uh, how you lost some clients but you like you said, man. You set expectations off the jump, and when mm-hmm. uh, I have a kind of like a step by step thing, like if it's you coming to me and you're interested in a house, and we show say like five houses, and then you want to put a purchase offer in, you've never seen one. We do something kind of similar to this, where I share my screen. We do the whole purchase contract together. We talk about all the terms. We talk about the the contract, and it's I'm having like the same conversation with people is. We have to be aggressive and remember there's, I, you know, you talk to the listing agent, you do your due diligence ahead of time, see what kind of competition you're up against because there's a difference in how you write a purchase contract when there's only three people versus when there's 15 people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's always like, I always try to frame it in that sense that I'm like, so far there's 10 offers on the table. Guess what? The chances that somebody waived a home inspection is very high. And yeah. I know you might not be comfortable with that. And I know that even makes me as a real estate agent uncomfortable. Do you love this house? Yes. Do How bad do you want this house? If you want to do a home inspection, we can do it. We'll just have to figure out a way that we can word how we're going to do this. But when they see home inspection, just know the chances drop a little bit or an EMD check. We're only doing a thousand dollar EMD rather than like 3000 or something a little bit more, right? How much can we put down as much as you can? Because anything is going to help us because there's probably somebody who's putting 20% down and it's a very weird conversation because I, I, you know, real estate agents have a very terrible persona to the public that we are, just trying to pull one over on everybody, right? Mm-hmm. That we're kind of like slimy salespeople, right? There are definitely those kind of people in this business, but that is a dime a dozen, right? I can think of 
10 great agents to one kind of cruddy agent. You know what and I mean? You're going to find those kind of people everywhere. You everywhere. Dude. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to talk about, you know, bad people and that's just everywhere you go. It's right. just uh, exactly. human exactly. beings, right? So I'm always tiptoeing that line where I'm like, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to take advantage. I'm just, listen, this is how the market is. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. I like that you're using the term setting expectations because that is what it is. The first time I meet somebody and they say, Corey, I want to buy a house or I want to, I got pre-approved. I want to start taking a look at houses. I usually do not say, okay, let's go do a show. It's like, I have a buyer appointment with you. I sit down, I give you the expectations. Hey, this is what we can expect. This is kind of the standard. This is what's happening right now. You know, things go on the market Wednesday. There's some kind of deadline Sunday night, maybe Monday if we're lucky. Um, But this is kind of like I'm setting their expectations up. And I notice that when I do that, not only are they more educated, they make better decisions and I'm writing less offers. Like I'm not, I'm not writing 10 offers with you anymore. We, we lost out on the first one. I have one client that I don't know how many times I've, I've explained this to them already. (laughs) Um, When they see asking price, they see this exaggerated number that is supposed to be, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to say starting point of, point of negotiation but they look at it from okay they're asking 200 for the house that means we can come in at 180 and then negotiate it to 190 right you know it's like no they're asking 200 and you're gonna offer 220 and hoping that you do an escalation clause to 230 and somewhere in between we're gonna get the house right and again not getting into the terms just about price just the pr- and that's uh, not even that's not going to win you not, not sometimes the purchase price can go out the window all the terms are the are the meat and bones of that soup right there so another thing that i've adopted is if you're pre-approved i'm suggesting that we look at houses that are 15 to twenty thousand dollars less than what you're pre-approved so that way, you have some, that, that, that way you have some room right you have some room to to submit an offer with an escalation clause and and get the house that you want because if you're looking at if you're pre-approved for 200 and you're looking at houses of 200, you know, you know how they do the 2049, you know, yeah. you're not going to get it for 200. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just that the market right now, just like you, there's 100 people looking for a house and there are no listings. So yeah. whatever you see available, 100 other people are looking at that house and some of them don't even have a choice because they got a divorce or they have a situation worse than you and they're, they're willing to pay more for the house right that's that's just the the nature of what's going on right now so it's really hard to for some customers to understand that and i really try my best to like not come across as too aggressive or like like i'm looking out for myself because i'm gonna earn a higher commission you know it's like no it's not about that i'm really trying to ask that question that you said i think that's the best line how bad do you want this house Right. Because everything else is going to depend on that, on yeah. how bad do you want the house. If it's like, oh, I really like this house. Let's submit an offer. If we get it, fine. If not, then whatever. Then okay, yeah, n- no worries. We can do that. But if it's a house that you really want, it's like this is the house of my dreams. This is how where I, this is the school district that I want my kids to, you know. And you want the house really bad. That's when you have to consider your options and make your offer more appealing. Otherwise, right you're not going to get it. Yeah. Right. And that's, 
it's like uh, you you mentioned about the those clients that are still thinking about going under and stuff. And it's almost like when I deal with those clients, I, I do my best like you're doing is to educate them, right? To tell them, hey, things aren't going under list price. This is not really the market. Things are actually going like 15, mm-hmm. 20, and even some cases 30 grand over list price. Uh, and it's not until they've had heartbreak at least once or twice yeah. that it seems like they're like, okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Cool. You're right. <laughs> Abel's right. He, he, maybe he, maybe he has a point, but it's, it's having that conversation with them up front. And also, man, when, when I get an offer declined by the listing agent, I'm always like, please give me some tidbit. Let me use this as a learning experience. Did the other offer go higher than us? Or did they have better financing? Did they waive a home inspection? Give me some kind of piece that I can use this as a learning experience for my buyers. Because then I can go back to them and say something like, hey, listen, the, the other offer, they didn't give me a, a solid number, but they said they went higher than us. We, and we went we went only five grand above list price. So maybe this next one, maybe we need to be somewhere in the ballpark of like 15, 20 with our escalation clause. You know, right, like right. kind of stuff like that that is... It's like it's almost as I'm doing, as I'm typing that offer that's below list price, you kind of have that thing in your head where you're like, I don't I don't think this is going to work, but I'm going to say my Hail Marys anyways and see what happens. And then it comes back, you're in a 20 offer bid situation and it didn't and it didn't tick. But it's a learning experience. Right. And trying to use it for the best is is what I what I try to do the most. It's just so difficult, dude. Even people. Man, even I've been working with this kid, um, and he is such a great buyer. He's so he's so he's got twenty percent down on a conventional loan. He has so much room. He's always looking at houses that need TLC, like ones that that would push more people away. And this kid is just getting heartbreak after heartbreak from people coming in and buying it with cash, you know. And there's like there's oh, nothing. Cash, yep. cash is king. There's nothing I can do on that. Nothing. I just feel bad for for some of these first time home buyers yeah that's like you said you know it's after they get a few heartbreaks that then then they really understand what's going on i mean you and i know about it because we've we've been suffering this for for the last year and a half and we want to prevent that from happening to new clients but you know it's it's almost like they have to go through it at least once or twice before they realize oh yeah you were right um let's start changing our strategy a little bit so that we can have a better chance Right, right. And that's kind of, that's just, man, what a market to start in. I, I started in 2018 and it was, it was competitive, but not, not like this, just in competitive in terms like 2018, you're still going to be up against offers, right? But they were like five offers, four offers. That's great. I can manage that. I can, I can make us look beautiful. But when it's 20 freaking offers, dude, I was in 24 offer situation a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, man, 24, like, what do we got to do? The buyer's got to offer to, to pay for the seller's kids braces. <laughs> the the buyer's got to send the, the seller's kids to college to get this. Yeah. Like, it's just, uh, it's insane, man. What a crazy time to start because that's only going to make you uh, that much better. Yeah, I mean, I, I I really hope that this will be a learning experience for the future, and I know it will. Oh, no doubt. Um, because obviously, this will not stay the way it is forever. I think this COVID nineteen changed or the world in every way. Um, not only from how we deal 
you know, face to face, but also um, the perspective, like this whole seller's market. I mean, I, I hear it from other agents that there hasn't been such a strong seller's market ever in history. I mean, we've had seller's market and buyer's market, but it's, it's normally dictated by supply and demand. And you have some range, right? So some sigma deviations that are, you know, within some range that are, you know, okay, seller's market are here, buyer's market. This is like seller's markers are way up here now. Yeah. Like it's not within two or three standard deviations. This is way off the chart. Right. It's nothing like we've ever seen before. So that's why it's so difficult for buyers to, to find a house. And we're going to look back at 2020, I don't know, five, 10 years, 15 years from now and be like, yeah, we're starting to see the pattern again. And it, we might see another market like we saw in 2020 and start getting ready for that. So it's, I'm excited because, it, again, I didn't have any previous experience. So I didn't have to erase any past, right. you know, Bad I was habits. like, okay, Bad habits, right? It's like, this yeah. is the way it is, and there you go. Just right. learn it and, and go with it. Damn. That's a good way to end. Abel, do you want to plug anything? Like, I know you're doing that whole the local legends thing. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, sure. I mean, I haven't done one in a couple of weeks because I've been really busy. Um, but I started this actually because I got a call from somebody in Canada, and they were offering this service. And this service was like, oh, you know, we don't sell leads, but we help you connect with uh, business owners and then you can get referrals. And it was like this crazy subscription yeah. amount that you had to pay a year. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I already know some business owners and I have my gear that I can go and film, you know, and I know some basic editing. I could start meeting small business owners and and chatting with them just like we're chatting today and having this 20 to 25 30 minute uh podcast right and, and talk about who they are what they do what services they provide and how do they help the community that was right. the whole thing and i've done like five so far and it's been one of the most enlightening experiences of my life because not only are you helping them connect with the community but you're also learning from their experiences you know right. um, how they started and how you know how they went from working in sales to starting a business and and how they're helping the community how they're making a difference in the community now so it's been really enlightening you know enlightening for for myself and i think it's that spark it, it lights a spark inside my life it's like okay if they did it then i can do it too right. and you know, they say you are what you surround yourself with, you know. So if I surround myself with legends, then eventually I'll become a legend too. So I like to think about it that way. Um, and it's like a win-win situation. I'm helping them get more business while I'm helping myself by not only getting some exposure online, but also learning about their experiences and getting tips. Um, I mean, I've gotten so many good feedback from from people about this local legends uh, uh like this like this shirt right here was made from liana and, and she was on my local legends show um, nice not too long ago so it, again it's it's doing what you love and finding what makes you happy and what lights that fire inside of you and they say do what you love and you'll never work a single day of your life 
And that is how we're going to end the podcast. That was beautiful, dude. Yep. That was great, man. I thank you for doing this. I know. Dude, thank you for inviting me. Like Shauna, when I met with Shauna, she was like, oh, you got to meet Corey. You're going to love Corey. You guys are going to be best friends. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see. He's probably a friend suggestion by now because I have so many other agents. So like, I'm with (laughs) Corey. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's the guy. I was like, you ever watch Step Brothers? No, no. No, never watched. Okay, so in uh, Step Brother, when you had sent me the friend request, I do the thing that everybody does. You kind of stalk the person, right? You kind of look at their profile, and it mm-hmm. says Abel Ramirez uh, worked for Blizzard, right? And in Step Brothers, <laughs> there's a scene where the two brothers are like, "Did we just become best friends?" And the other brother goes, "Yup." Before he even finishes the sentence, and the second I saw that, I went. Dude, we're going to click. Boom. We're, we're, gonna, we're going to be best friends. I know it. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. That's great. Dude, thank you for doing this, and I appreciate your time. Dude, Dude thank you for friends. inviting me. That This is this is awesome. I, I mean, I'm honored to be on your podcast. Dude. If you like this episode, make sure you review it, subscribe, follow. If you share anything from the podcast, just use the hashtag CoreyCast. And I want to say thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me. The joy I get from putting these out is undescribable to me. The fact that I have my friends texting me, telling me how much they love that episode or they love this guest, it really means the world to me. And because of you guys, I get to do something that I love very much. So appreciate you guys very much. Love you.